Specialty Story, session number 78. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. If this is your first time here, welcome. Thank you for joining me. If this is not your first time here, I'm sorry, I've been away for a long time. Uh, and one of my goals when starting a podcast, and I have many now, is to be consistent. And that is one, this podcast is the one place where I have struggled to be consistent. I'm hoping to change that. I'm actually hiring my first two employees, uh, which is exciting. And hopefully with the addition to my team, I'll be able to get more guests to come on the podcast to share their specialties with you. This week, I have a great guest, an ophthalmologist who specializes in surgeries of the cornea as well as cataract surgery. And he's a DO. And so that may interest you uh, for a lot of you uh, osteopathic students out there. So we're going to dive in and talk to Dr. Alex Woldeman and start off with why he was interested in ophthalmology, cornea, and cataract surgery. I, I did not go into medical school thinking about ophthalmology. Um, I have nobody in the family who is an ophthalmologist. I've never seen an ophthalmologist. However, um, I, at some point on my path to being an orthopedic surgeon, presenting at a conference as a medical student, met an ophthalmologist who turned out to be extremely friendly and said, well, you're welcome to come spend a day in my clinic. And I said, sure, why not? Let's try it out. And I showed up and I saw him and his other partners practice. And I thought that they were some of the happiest doctors I had seen (laughs) in my path in a a couple of years that I spent as a student and beforehand. And it was a pretty nice environment. Doctors were happy, patients were happy, people were smiling, and um, I had no idea what they were doing because I couldn't understand any of it. But I thought, hmm, these guys are happy. I wonder, you know, I want to be happy. This sounds good. Let's look into it. And I saw that they went home at a reasonable hour, and um, they also got to do surgery and play with cool toys and lasers. And I thought, okay, I, I can do this. And I think when I started looking into it and found that it was actually quite competitive. I'm not the only person that thinks this is cool. Um, I think that probably drew me even more. I said, okay, this is good and it's competitive. I really want to do it now because it just felt like an extra challenge. Um, So that's probably what kind of drew me in. Happy doctors in in my experience. And uh, I think that probably draws a lot of people to different specialties or draws people away from a specialty. They'll, they'll, They'll meet somebody who's an unhappy uh, OB guy, and that's that's my example. And I thought, no way, I would never do OB guy. And these guys were miserable. The ones I met, <laughs> and it just it just happened to be the one that I met was exactly. unfortunately miserable. Yep. But yeah, just takes it, one. You, it just takes one. Yeah, and it could be the other way around too, right? So there's plenty. I'm sure there's um, a handful of, or some unhappy ophthalmologists out there, but I just don't know them. Yeah, you mentioned the ophthalmologist being happy. I always think orthopods are happy too. What, what was initially drawing you to orthopedics? It's a really bad reason. Um, 
So I was in college and business school or thinking I was going to be a businessman. And my friend's father, who was an orthopod, one day called me in and said, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up, Alex? And I said, I'm going to be a businessman. <laughs> and he said, businessman. One of my sons is a businessman and he lost his job and there's no job stability. He goes, I'm going to tell you what to do. And you're going to retire at the age of 50 as a millionaire. And I was 18 years old at the time. And I thought, okay, this sounds good. I'm listening. <laughs> Keep talking. <And> he's, <laughs> yes. I said, what do you want? What do I do? And he said, be an orthopedic surgeon. And uh, I was like, well, I want to be, I don't know anything about it, but yeah, sure. Being a millionaire and retiring at 50, this sounds great. And and really, I was very uh, easily influenced at 18 and thought this guy was great and he was living this lifestyle that seemed really great. And I said, okay, let's try it. And I literally switched my major and started taking science classes. And in reality, I didn't even like uh, the business classes I was taking, so it worked out well. And um, only in medical school, I closer to getting to medical school, I realized that that is a terrible reason to become a doctor. It, yes. was, it was the worst advice I could have ever gotten. I'm glad he gave me that advice because it brought me to medicine. But to tell somebody to go to medicine to become rich is, uh, is, quite, is absolutely wrong. I mean, yes, yeah. you could do well and maybe be even wealthy and maybe even be rich if that's uh, a goal. But that's, this is not the way to do it. There are easier um, ways to do it. There are much easier ways, and um, yeah, that should not be the path. So, um, and then when I got into medical school, I started exploring the orthopedic surgery kind of lifestyle and doing all the things that people do to try to you know schmooze and get in and meet people. And um, the personalities of the people that I met didn't seem to kind of flow with mine. I thought there were, this is obviously I'm um, generalizing, but people were a little bit more, maybe a little more aggressive um, than I really envisioned what a classic doctor was. You know, it was, I was just much more, uh, I felt much more uh, aligned, I think, um, personality and um, just uh, tone with the ophthalmologists who generally were kind of pretty dorky, a little more laid back. And, uh, and so really just personalities uh, drew me away from orthopedics and then more, more towards ophthalmology. What traits do you think lead to being a good cornea specialist? I think you have to be very meticulous, whether you, you don't have to start out being meticulous. I definitely was not, and I, I don't know many young people are, but you are forced to having to be meticulous. Um, everything we do, um, all of our surgeries and our procedures are visible in the patient's eye every day. So whatever result they have, they're walking around with it. They're looking through it. And if you're off, by a small fraction, then the patient sees that for the rest of their lives. So every calculation, whatever technology we're using, lens implants or lasers or sutures, um, all have to be meticulously placed. And um, so I think that's probably the most important. Talk about the the types of patients, the types of diseases, pathologies, et cetera, that you're treating as an ophthalmologist, as a, as a cornea specialist? 
Sure. So I am um, a cornea specialist, but I also see a lot of general ophthalmology. And in reality, if you practice cornea in private practice, and um, you are likely also doing a lot of general ophthalmology because there's just not that much cornea pathology to keep somebody busy all day long with just cornea. So today in my clinic of 30 patients or so that I saw, I saw a, a two-year-old, a 15-year-old, a couple of 30-year-olds with routine eye exams, essentially, whether they needed glasses or had um, dry eyes or things like that, which are general ophthalmologic pro problems. And then I see a lot of the majority of my patients are elderly. So I think as ophthalmologists, we see, we see the highest majority of elderly patients than any specialty. I'm pretty sure that's true. So if, if you look at my schedule, it's usually 80 or 65, 70 years old plus. So, um, and those people have, as far as uh, things that I see as a general ophthalmologist, cataract is one of the most common. Um, I also take care of glaucoma and macular degeneration. And then from a cornea standpoint, there are corneal diseases that are related to surgery, which are probably the most common that I see. So patients that have had previous eye surgeries, multiple surgeries, whether it's cataract surgeries, glaucoma surgeries, retina surgeries, these things, if you have a sick eye and has had lots of surgery, it in turn causes damage to the cornea, which often needs corneal transplant, which is what I specialize in. Sometimes people have infections that cause scarring and cause corneal disease, so not infrequently do um, I see contact lens wearers with corneal ulcers that sometimes... Uh, have scarring that need corneal transplants. And sometimes um, besides infectious etiologies and um, post-surgical things, rarely we'll see um, dystrophies, certain corneal diseases that people are born with. Those are much, much more rare. And the other thing that we do see quite often are corneal ectasia. Ectasia such as what we call keratoconus. Ectasia means essentially thinning or bowing out of the cornea. If people are born with particular uh, corneal disease like keratoconus, their corneas become thin and pointed and they become weak and they need corneal care, whether in the form of specialty contact lenses, what we call cross-linking, which essentially freezes the cornea in its particular shape or corneal surgery like corneal transplants. Describe a typical day. So my typical day is usually starting at 8 a.m. is my first patient scheduled. And in a morning, I would probably see between 10 and 20 patients. Um, I am in a private practice. I work about a half an hour from my house. And I have great support at the practice. So lots, I have a scribe and I have technicians that work patients up for me. And it's pretty fast paced um, to be able to get through 20 patients and make everybody happy around you. You have to be efficient. And um, I always get lunch. So I usually finish around 
noon and the next patient scheduled at one. So there's always a lunch break. Um, and we're, I'm not eating lunch, but I'm reading and doing other things. And then usually the same thing in the afternoon, start at one, end at five-ish, 4.30 sometimes. And that's a typical clinic day. Um, OR day, for example, tomorrow I'm in the OR. I, my first case starts at seven. And usually in the OR, I'm doing about 10 surgeries in a half day. And I'll be done around noon. I'll get a little break, and then I'll, I'll go to clinic in the afternoon from 1 to 5. So that's the, those are the private practice days compared to the days I spend when I go to the universities and teach with residents. And those days are a little bit different. As a, as a physician out in private practice, how does call work for you? There are lots of different ways to set call up in our practice because we have seven physicians, we split it equally between seven people. And so essentially you're on call one week every seven and you're covering call for your practice only. And it's generally pretty light call. Um, Middle of the night emergencies are quite rare. And if they are happening, um, that person sometimes can be seen the next morning Um, unless it's some extreme emergency, then they're usually not calling their private practice ophthalmologist. They're going to their emergency room. So I also cover call for the local university hospital occasionally where you see trauma call with residents, and that can be quite busy. Uh, You can do that as much or as little as you want. I'm doing one week a year only. So in in that week, I could potentially, you know, every night wake up in the middle of the night and drive to the hospital and operate uh, and you could do that as little as, or as much as possible, as you want. But generally, ophthalmology private practice call is um, not really intrusive in your life. When you're taking call, how often is it that you have to actually go in for something? During the week, I would say it's extremely rare because I just can see the patient the next morning. So I'm I've effectively almost never had to go, go in during the week after I've left the office. Okay. On the weekend when you're covering, you know, you'll usually every few weekends of call, I would have a patient you know, open the clinic up and bring them in because it sounds like something that needs to be seen then. So okay. it's not, not very common. Okay. Do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of medicine? Absolutely. I think I have a very predictable lifestyle. I think that's one of the big draws of ophthalmology is um, my schedule really, it's hard to to make a big change to my schedule that would result in unexpected surgeries that I wasn't planning or things I have to do that I wasn't planning. So yeah, absolutely. What's the training path look like to, to get to where you are as a cornea specialist? So you have to do ophthalmology residency, and prior to that, you have to do a year of internship. As of now, they are still separated. So one year of internship of some kind. Most people do medicine or transitional. Very rarely you'll see somebody do surgery or peds or something. And then you do three years of ophthalmology residency. And then I did a one-year fellowship in Pretty much almost all cornea fellowships are one year. 
there's maybe one or two in the country that are two years linked with some research, but that's that's pretty rare. And you mentioned earlier that ophthalmology is pretty competitive. Back when you were getting into it, how competitive is it still at this point? I think it's extremely competitive still, and I don't envision it getting any less competitive going forward. I think the nature of the lifestyle is always going to draw people to it. Um, so I think, you know, I, when, when people think of the most competitive specialties, we think of the road or whatever, the radiology, ophthalmology, anesthesia, maybe derm. Um, I think that's always going to be there, ophthalmology, because the life, it's very, nothing is really going to change the practice pattern. So I think the lifestyle factor will always draw people and will make it competitive inherently because of that. Yeah. What should a, a student be doing to be competitive to match into Optho? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any specific formula that's special to Optho than any other any other field. So I, I think you need to um, really know that you want it and show, be able to show that you want it. And the only way to do that is be involved, whether that is um, in research or some shadowing experiences or volunteer work. These are all ways just to actually figure out whether you like it or not. Um, and those, then you usually will build connections by doing that. And those connections with people will help. And you should be able to get better letters from people, letters of recommendation from people you've spent a lot of time with. Um, undoubtedly, the first thing that um, residency programs are going to screen you on is going to be your school and your, your step one. That's going to get you have to have those to get you in the door. Um, if you don't, then you're, you're finding a little bit more of an uphill battle. It's not impossible, and uh, you can absolutely do it, but school and scores, that's probably the first step. And then the next is how well you interview is very important for ophthalmology. I'm probably sure for all fellowships, residencies, ophthalmology especially, we work pretty tightly together. You work in a clinic environment side-by-side side with your attendings, a lot of times with their private patients. So they really want somebody that they feel comfortable around patients. You know, this is, this is not a, a big hospital, usually not in a big hospital or emergency room where none of these are your, you know, your attendings' patients. Mm-hmm. So that part is important. And uh, research always helps. For cornea specifically for fellowship matching, how competitive is it once you're finished with your ophthalmology residency? Cornea on the whole is not particularly competitive. Good programs in anything are always going to be competitive. So, you know, for the same reason you could say family medicine isn't competitive, but pick the best program in family medicine, it's going to be very competitive. So the same, I think the same thing kind of goes for cornea. In terms of competitiveness in ophthalmologic fellowships, it's probably middle of the road. What other subspecialties are there once once you're in optho residency and trying to figure out what you want to do next? Yeah, there's a lot, and there's probably new ones every couple of years. But uh, actually, so there are subspecialties. You could do a two-year fellowship in retina or a two-year fellowship in oculoplastics. You could also do a one-year fellowship in oculoplastics or a one-year fellowship in retina. 
You can do a one-year fellowship in glaucoma, a one-year in cornea. You could do a one-year in uveitis. You could do a one-year in pediatrics. You could do uh, pathology. You can, I actually recently heard there's a special fellowship for refractive surgery. Um, so those are the big ones that come to mind. Um, yeah, I think that should be pretty much most of them. For the osteopathic medical student listening to this who really has his or her heart set on ophthalmology, what sort of negative bias do you see out in the field currently? Well, once you're in practice, I don't sense any bias at all. I, my patients have no idea that uh, I'm a, they know I'm a DO, but it actually almost never comes up. I think that the bias undoubtedly is going to come when you're applying for residency programs because the field is so competitive. The program directors of MD programs are, are not going to look at you first. You, you have to do something special to stand out amongst the MD uh, applicants. What do you wish primary care providers knew about what you're doing day in and day out with your cornea patients to help you better treat your patients and better treat um, their, their own patients? The most important thing is refer early and don't just treat red eyes. So, you know, the differential diagnosis of a red eye, when I see one in my clinic, my I have uh, the history that I take for a red eye, the exam that I do, all the things that I look for are quite extensive. And um, I think a lot of times I see people uh, in the community will see a red eye and say it's probably a pink eye, and they give somebody antibiotic, and then they send them my way, or worse, they just don't send them our way. So I would say less is more. Refer early. Um, and don't just treat because um, a lot of times that could make my job a little more difficult when I, when they get to me and I, I'm not sure where it really started. What other specialties do you work the closest with? Well, I obviously work very closely with anesthesia in the operating room. Um, primary care because we co-manage a lot of diabetics and that's a big part of our practice. I also work a lot with neurology and um, taking care of patients with vision loss, cranial nerve palsies, things like that. And not infrequently do I work with rheumatologists, patients who have autoimmune inflammatory eye diseases that need systemic management. Are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for an ophthalmologist or even a, a cornea specialist? The ones that come to mind are involving industry, and by that I mean um, surgical devices. So I think that is one particular route that some people can take to be involved with industry and trials and testing new um, devices. Besides that... Um, with ophthalmology, you can absolutely always be a business owner, and a lot of ophthalmologists have been, probably less so now. Private practice um, is just not 
as popular and being business owners is not as common, but uh, that's, that's another pathway people can take. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into your cornea specialty? I think not so much specific to cornea, but to ophthalmology in general, that while at one side, in one aspect, I um, enjoy building relationships with patients and I have long-term patients, as a practice, I am pretty tied to my geographic location because I'm getting myself and my name out there and building a patient base. Um, and I can't just, I can, but it's difficult to get up and leave and decide I want to live in another part of the country, um, like an, maybe an anesthesiologist or an emergency doc can do. So while that's possible, I think that um, the private practice of ophthalmology is much more community centered. And um, I didn't never, never really thought about that before. What do you like the most about being a cornea specialist? Undoubtedly, the best part is the one-day post-op, uh, the day where patients come in and almost always there's a smile on their face and they say, I've never been able to see like this before. I'm so happy. I didn't think that my house was as dirty as it was. I didn't <laughs> think that my colors of my walls were like this. I didn't realize what I was missing and um, that is a day full of smiles, and so that is the best day in, in any cataract and cornea surgeon's job. I think it's the one-day post-op. What do you like the least? One of the things I think I like the least is the fact that I not infrequently have to talk to patients about money, whether it's eye drops that I prescribe that they can't get covered by their insurance or offering different services that are not covered by insurance. And these are important things to talk to them about because I want to offer all the things that are out there. But um, talking about money and insurance and prior authorizations and things of that sort uh, can sometimes get frustrating. There's uh, a lot of uproar seemingly uh, from, from my side of it. I wonder what you see from your side with optometrists requesting and pushing for more and more um, uh, ability to do procedures and things uh, independently from ophthalmologists. What, what does the ophthalmology world think of that push? Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of opinion. I can only state in my experience, um, I work and have worked alongside optometrists um, both in my residency training and my fellowship, and now in my practice, we have optometrists that we see patients together and work alongside each other. And in my opinion, the majority and all the ones that I have met have not been interested in getting involved in surgical intervention. And I don't blame them. I think a lot of they went into optometry because they didn't want to be surgeons and they want their predictable uh, lifestyle and hours and don't particularly want to go out of the scope of what they're comfortable with. But there I'm, obviously are, uh, there's a push for some optometrists and from some optometrists to um, have a piece of the surgical pie. And I 
have seen um, mistakes made and I've seen things that were missed and uh, in patients that were seen by optometrists and nothing to do with them being an optometrist. It just had something to do with them not having years of surgical training and not actually knowing what you could even be looking for, uh, let alone missing it. So and that, that makes me a little bit nervous. Um, and it's, it's a little bit scary, I think, for a patient to walk in the door because half the time they don't know that I, who I am, quite frankly. They know that I'm doing their surgery and they probably don't know whether I'm optometrist or an ophthalmologist. Um, so for patient safety, um, I think it can be quite dangerous for optometrists to get involved surgically. And I think the ones, uh, I can tell you that my personal experience, the sleepless nights that I lose before and after surgery and thinking about it, and this is despite years and years of training and seeing tough cases, I can't imagine why. I think as anybody who hasn't had the training to want to get involved in that, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't wish that on anybody. <laughs> <laughs> What major changes, if any, do you see coming to the field of ophthalmology, uh, specifically to cornea surgery? So specifically to cornea surgery, uh, there's uh, in the sphere of corneal transplantation, what we generally have done in the past is we've taken donor tissues and we've sewn them into place. And then we figured out that we can take just pieces of donor tissues and put them into place. And the future, I hope, is that we're going to be able to take individual cells and replace just this, the damaged cells. This is all in the effort to have lower rejection rates, uh, faster recovery, and better outcomes for our patients. Um, the other things in the cornea sphere are and specifically from the refractive side, meaning getting better vision, um, technologies like lens implants that we put in at the time of cataract surgery, different techniques to do cataract surgery. Right now we're doing something called laser cataract surgery is a new thing that's on the market and we're working on. And then eventually um, artificial intelligence, and it's already in ophthalmology, but to help us make better clinical decisions in picking um, specifically lens implants and cataract surgery, I think is going to be a big thing. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a cornea specialist? I absolutely would. Any last words of wisdom for the medical student or pre-med student who's listening to this thinking, oh, I, I need to go check out Optho and, and this cornea specialty? What, what would you tell him or her? Uh, I think that if you spend some time with enough ophthalmologists, it's going to be hard to, for you to uh, – it's hard, pretty hard to dislike. I think if you uh, – um, you know, we, we joke around. If, if you like surgery – and you like to sit down, and you don't hate eyes, ophthalmology is a great choice. Um, but I think that as you define that there's, uh, it's competitive to get into, uh, I can tell you that in my experience, anybody that wants any specialty always gets it eventually. So 
I've never met anybody that really wanted something that could never, that just never got it. Uh, whether it took more time or a different approach or different using different tools, somehow they got there. So do not give up. All right, there you have it again, Dr. Alex Voldman talking about his path to ophthalmology, cornea and cataract surgery specialty and what he likes, doesn't like, etc. All the good questions that we ask here on Specialty Stories. If you have a specialty that you want covered, don't tell me that you want it covered. Go find me a guest and introduce me to that guest. We are looking for somebody who's out in practice, not a resident uh, and not a military physician. Another little caveat there as well. You can email me, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Hope this was helpful for you. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. (music) 